I hate to break it to you, I'm not Daniel. Uh, he's taking a little time to take care of his family. Uh, so I'm here. I'm his dad, Doug Self, to, uh, to speak today. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm a little old school. You know, Daniel probably has all kinds of technical stuff. So what is our, uh, our vision that we say here? A motto, vision, hopefully description. Love God, love people. And we've got that on T-shirts, like uh, these right here. That's our vision, our mission. And it's taken from the New Testament when Jesus was asked a question, what is the greatest, what is the one greatest commandment from the Old Testament? There were 613. Did Jesus give them one? Gave them two. And uh, the first part's called the Shema. And it was a prayer that Jewish people would recite uh, two times a day. They've been doing that for 1,400 years. The Shema. Can you say Shema? Shema. See, you speak Jewish already. Way to go. And so Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is what he replied. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind. Luke adds strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So there's a lot more. I mean, love God, love people is about all we can get on a shirt. So we don't have the whole thing. Love God, love people. And this one is a, uh, who would like an extra large? Coach, you wear extra large? Sure. All right, wear it. Oh, whoa, here's another one. This one is a, uh, this is extra large. Where's the big guy? Who is that up there? All right, somebody, uh, would you take that to Mac? Thank you. Claymore, take that up to Mac. Thank you. Oh, this one is medium. Let's see. Who would like a medium? Do you have one? You don't have one? This lady right here is a VIP. She, she does more around this church. When I wear mine at the gym, people are always like, love God, love people. Well, that's really simple. Yeah. And uh, I didn't tell them the whole rest of the stuff. This is medium. Right back there. You ready? I wish I had one of those cannons. <laughs> Would that be cool or what? I could shoot it up to Mac. Oh. <laughs> love God, love people, love milk. <laughs> Does somebody have a baby that's under 12 months? When? Your grandmother in November, you'll have a grandchild. Yeah. There you go. Love God, love people, love milk. You got you to gotta love that. All right, so there's four parts, actually, but we typically just recognize two, love God, love people. And those four parts can be demonstrated by a, uh, a little symbol. On, in your bulletin, you've got this uh, note-taken page, and there... 
there's uh, two arrows. So there's an arrow that goes up. And there's an arrow that goes across, vertical and horizontal. Love God, love people. But there's two more factors in there that are kind of hidden. We don't talk about a lot. And that's what we're going to look at today because it's really difficult to pull this off. And all you know are the two factors. So I'm going to draw another arrow here. If this is love God, and this is me loving people, What would this one be? God loving you. Yeah. So we don't often think about that. We're just loving God. But he's got a heart full of love for us that we don't often recognize or receive. And then we've got one part down here that really needs to be added. Here's a big heart. Loving myself. How many of you really love yourself? You know, it's kind of an awkward question, isn't it? Uh, and if you're sitting there with your family and you raise your hand, you probably got an elbow in the ribs, right? Uh, but it's so important that we not only love God, but let Him love us. And when we are loved by God, we love ourselves. We receive a new identity, a new security. Uh, the original Shema did not have the love people part. It was from Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 5. Now, Jesus added to it from an obscure verse in Leviticus. Uh, the parallel of, of love, you shall love the Lord your God, you shall love people, love your neighbors yourself, are the only uh, two of three instances in the Old Testament that had that configuration of you shall love. Believe it or not. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbors yourself. And so when Jesus pulled that in from Leviticus, he was pulling in a parallel as far as the construction of the verbiage was. Now, the Jewish people would recite the Shema twice a day, but it was longer than just love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, and mind. In fact, it was added, added to it as part of the Shema was Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. And Numbers 15, 37. They would do that twice a day. That's quite long, but, but they would do it. And so when, G when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, they expected him to go into Deuteronomy 11 after uh, Deuteronomy 5. And he pulled a switch on and went into Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. The second part, how many of you have Leviticus marked in your Bible as just your favorite devotional reading? Because Leviticus describes all the sacrifices, how to kill stuff, and uh, what to do if you have a skin disease or if you have mold in your house. And Leviticus 19 is a chapter. It's got some really, really cool stuff. Um, and I think there's a better one. Jesus did Leviticus 19:18. I think he should have chosen verse 32 as the second part of the Shema. What do you think? Tell me what you think about this. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> well, he didn't choose that. He chose love your neighbor 
as yourself. And uh, since he taught that, uh, we have said that that way. But Jewish people still, when they recite the Shema, they do not include what Jesus added, obviously. And so when the Shema itself, love the Lord your God, sort of picks up the first four of the Ten Commandments. Can anybody tell me any one of the first four of the Ten Commandments? All right. Love your God. No idols. Uh, don't be cussing, taking God's name in vain. And remember the Sabbath. And then six through ten are about loving people. And so when Jesus added that part, then he was filling it out. Love God, the first part. And then loving people, the second. Anybody know the fifth commandment? Fifth, yeah. Okay. Yeah, honor your father and mother. What's the sixth one? You shall not kill. Uh, what's, what's the next one? <laughs> Look, if you're loving God and loving people, you're not likely to be killing them all that much. Or you're not likely to steal their stuff. Or to uh, steal their spouse. Or to lie to them. Or to scheme about getting their stuff. The covet part. And so that's why Jesus says on these two commandments... The whole law and prophet hangs because if you do that, you will fulfill all of the law, all the Ten Commandments, and the other 613 that are in the Old Testament. All right. So on the board, you see that we are going to be looking at loving God, how to love God, how to be loved by God, how to love myself, and how to love other people. Now, in the Old Testament, loving, um, love the Lord, let's see, love your neighbors yourself, um, it, that was kind of restrictive because that would have been mainly the Jewish people as it stood. But it was expanded to everybody. Now, Jesus just blew the top off when he said, love your enemies. Who were the enemies of the Jewish people? Well, everybody, but mainly the Roman oppressors. So he said, love them. I mean, how... Unpalatable as that. And then uh, Jesus explaining, uh, love your neighbors yourself, to a guy who asked him in Luke, the, after Jesus said it, the guy said, well, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And he thought Jesus would say, it's your buddies, your Jewish buddies. But Jesus told a parable. What was the parable about? To explain who the neighbor is. Samaritan. The good Samaritan. And uh, I said, good Samaritan. The Jewish people listening to that would not have thought good in front of Samaritan. In fact, they hated them. They were enemies. They, they loathed them. And so when Jesus said, you got, your love goes as far as the Samaritan, that included everybody. And it, probably some aquatic life in there, too. I'm not real sure. But it included everyone when you love, even those. Which means, love God, love people, no asterisks. Nobody's excluded. All right, let's break it down. Love God. Now, you're sitting here in a church building, and you're hearing love God. It's, it's kind of like, well, yeah, duh. Do you know how many people in the world believe in a God who's lovable? Two-thirds of the population of the planet don't believe in a personal God. They believe in an impersonal, like, force. 
maybe like the ocean. Some people now, it's like the universe. Years ago, they had like pet rocks. Did you ever have a pet rock? You ever try to love a pet rock? I mean, you're not. I'd rather love a person. And, and uh, the, God reveals himself in the Bible as a God of love who desires love and who loves us. A lovable God. You ought to just write that down. Is that, I mean, that is, uh, we know that, but when we say that, it's kind of like, wow, that is pretty incredible that we have a loving God. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now let's look at loving God with all your heart. What would that mean? Think about it a moment. I've got this commandment I want to quote here. You tell me where this quote comes from, what book this comes from. Give me your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. Second, Carlos Santana, Matchbox 5. <laughs> and really, it makes sense. I mean, this guy's dating this girl, and she's kind of not really committed. And so he's saying, give me your heart. So I'm sure God would want us to be wholehearted in our affection to him. So if we're loving with all of our heart, uh, we've got feelings attached to that. What are some of the positive feelings of wholehearted love? I don't want to ask any trick questions during this, by the way. What's that? Forgiveness, Forgiveness is one. Security. Security. What else? If you're loving someone with your heart, what, what is an emotion that would describe that? Devotion. Devotion. Joy. Joy. Trust, certainly. Adoration. Delight. Admiration. You see, those are all part of our wholehearted love. I think it's so great because God not only reveals himself as God the creator, but he created us in his image, which means that he has emotions and we have emotions. He wants those emotions involved in our relationship. Because if the emotions aren't involved, um, it's kind of hard to love somebody and they don't love you back, right? I mean, that, that's awkward. I mean, when, when somebody tells you, you know, he's not really that into you. That's kind of disappointing. And you don't want some angel whispering to God, you know, she's just really nothing into you. Because you want to love wholeheartedly. Put your heart into it. And love with your soul. Now, soul is uh, described as that deep part of ourselves that is our identity, our very life. If a plane crashes, it says there are 109 souls on board. So that soul is that uniqueness about us. Have you ever heard somebody say, I found my soulmate? That means that they found someone that they feel so corresponds to them. And I can tell you, you're God's soulmate. He made your soul for him. So you love him with all your soul and with all your mind. There are four parts of this. I know you're writing these down because these are very important. You don't want to forget. Four parts of loving God with your mind. First of all, there's your thoughts. I mean just your thoughts. How many of you think about God, have a thought about God during the day? Some people tell me that, well, you know, I tell God I appreciate or I'm grateful for something. I have some people tell me they set the alarm on their phone so that when it goes off, they think about God. Now, if you were to think about God during the day, what would you think about? 
him. Yeah, this stuff that the Bible teaches about him. The thinking about God means to focus your thoughts. Are we a generation of focused thinking or distraction? Focusing our thoughts. You see, for some of us, that would be hard work to focus your thoughts, to think about God, to think on God, and then to to concentrate on, uh, to ponder. Now, the second part of our mind is our reasoning ability to, uh, to reason things out, to examine, to analyze. Um, if you study the Bible very much, you go into examining evidence about God's existence, His character, His nature, about Jesus. Uh, there's some really good books called A Case for Faith, Case for God, Case for Jesus that are chock full of established reasons of why God exists, and why He is who He is. Have you examined those? It'd be good for you to employ that part of your mind to examine your reasoning part. And then there's your imagination. If you visualize God right now, what do you see? Just think about it. Is He smiling or frowning? Our imagination is one of our most often used capabilities of our minds. Let me just ask you this. Have you ever worried about anything? (laughs) Have you ever pre-pictured disaster? Financially, relationally, medically. I mean, we are so good at worrying, which actually is meditating on disaster. Hey, let's meditate on God. In other words, let's picture God. King David did. And wrote the 23rd Psalm. It's a meditation on the Torah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It makes me lie down in green pastures. Man, I love that. I go over that so many times. It just brings a peace to me to meditate. Our imagination should be employed in our loving of God. I kind of think in cartoons anyway a lot of times. And so I can see God coming to help me, covering me with his wing, picking me up. Use your imagination. And then there's your will, where you decide and make decisions. Decide for God. Decide in line with what God would have you do, think, be. And then with all your strength. Now, this is where you put all this thought and emotion, imagination into that relationship. This is where the flowers come in, the candies, where you, you wash your car, where she cooks you that meal. You see, this is the, the expression, tangible expression, with all of your strength. Now, if we put all these together, love the Lord your God with all your uh, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think the Shema is a good uh, litmus test when we, when we worship here on Sunday mornings, it works all during the week. But let me just tell you, if we're going to sing this song in a little bit uh, called uh, the Revelation Song. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Can you see that picture? Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So when you hear that, in a moment, you're going to be actually, uh, the band's going to be playing that. What will you be doing 
to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength during that song. Checking your phone really is not part of that. Planning your lunch is not part of wholehearted adoration during that song. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So our heart, a passion comes within us. A passion, a love. We're moved, moved emotionally. Uh, I've seen people sometimes a tear comes to their eye. Heart, soul, mind, thinking those words, thinking through the words. And then our strength. Sometimes you, you motivate your body. Uh, sometimes your, your lips form the words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, some of you don't want to sing, uh, and, and that's okay. We don't, we don't want to um, make you sing. But if you want to just form the words with your lips. So you're participating. And for some of you guys, that would be an incredible advance of your worship experience. To, to make those with, and, and then if you were to be radical and actually sing them, so your vocal cords come out with them. And then some of you, I know, I know, some of you, it's like, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you're kind of moving. You got it? You're kind of moving like that? Is that okay? Is that okay? I, you're not, I'm not too radical now, right? But what about, you know, I'm like, oh, how did that get up there? <laughs> so you can use your whole body, your strength in worship. And why do we raise our hands? In the, in the Old Testament, it says we raise our hands. It was, it's sort of a significance of respect to God. But I like it when a toddler comes up and says, up, daddy, up. I like that part. You see, during worship, but don't restrict it just to Sunday morning. It's an all week long kind of thing. Now, uh, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength includes a four-letter word. I said this in the first service. We didn't have paramedics. Three people fainted. Then <laughs> the word is obey. Okay, the word is obey. You do what God says. You follow his commands. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of a rote, disciplinary you got to do this kind of thing. I'm talking about, well, let me just read to you from Joshua. From Joshua, back in the Old Testament, even though we don't think so much of God's love there, it says, be sure to continue to obey all the commandments Moses gave you. Love the Lord and follow his plans for your lives. Cling to him and serve him enthusiastically. That doesn't sound really dire, does it? Even in the Old Testament. And Jesus said in the New Testament, the last night with his disciples, he said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching as part of that strength. And my Father will love him or her, and we will come and make our home in your heart. I love that. Would you like God to move in? Oh, you got to clean up some clutter first, but wouldn't you love for God to move in? He who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one that loves me. And my Father will love that person. And then it goes on in 1 John 5, 2. Uh, this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. Now remember, his commands are, don't be killing people. And so when you're, loving, when you're not killing folks, you're, you're loving people. In fact, this is love for God. 
to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. It's not too hard not to go out and do an armed robbery. Just, you know, leave your gun at home. So his commands are not burdensome, and loving him is an expression as we obey him. Parents know this. You know, you take your kids out, and uh, you go to the pool. Take them, they've got three kids in the back seat. You go to the pool, they have so much fun. You go somewhere else, you have pizza, and then you get them ice cream. And you're driving home, and you're saying, didn't we have a great day today, guys? Don't you just love your mom and dad? Don't fuss and fight on the way home. You see, there's a connect. Parents know the connection. Your mommy loves you. Would you please pick the toys up from your room's floor? It's, it's, it's a, you can't really love someone and then just stiff them about not doing what they've asked you or told you to do. So that's part of loving God with all of our strength. Pleasing him. That up arrow is loving God and the other is down. Um, like I said a moment ago, if we loved God and we didn't feel his love or get his love back to us, that would be kind of awkward. Have you ever loved someone that didn't love you back? I mean, that's not very pleasant at all. So God has set it up so that we are to receive his transformative love that helps us love ourselves. Loving, loved people love people. Have you ever heard hurt people hurt people? Well, the corollary is true. Loved people love people. So if we are loved by God, he is loving us. We love ourselves appropriately, and then we love other people. Um, Jesus indicated that we're to love each other predicated on receiving his love. And that's in John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you. In fact, this one just really supersedes all of them. Love one another. This is a command. It's not love one another. It is love one another. As I have loved you. There you go. So you should love one another. Everybody will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is saying, it flows this way. As I've loved you, love one another. How did Jesus love his followers? Sacrificial love. We'll get into that uh, later. Sacrificial love. So God has loved us, and it's described in Romans 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. If God is pouring all this love out, and you're not getting it, what's up with that? I think we should make a priority of learning how to receive and absorb God's love because everything else flows from that. Now, there are some people who are nice enough that they, can, they like other people, treat them right. But there are some people who really, really need God's love to be able to love people. And all of us, no matter how nice, if we love, God's, love people as God has loved us, it's going to up the game a lot to love those people. All right, let's look at the results. If, if God has loved a person so profoundly that the person now loves themselves appropriately, what's that person like? What's the person like who goes around having been loved by God? 
Well, we got a good example. Patrick's here. Yesterday, we did a memorial for his wife, Patrick. We love you. Laura lived a life, and she said some of her last words. Her love from God expressed out to others. Am I right? Yeah. And he's here today because he loves God. Look at the results. When a person is appropriately loved... They love themselves appropriately. And, and uh, academics call that self-esteem or self-worth, having high self-esteem, appropriate, healthy self-esteem. But you've probably heard about the other side of it that really is uh, prevalent in our education and, and courts, and that is low self-esteem. People say low self-esteem is a predictor of doing poorly in school, not playing well with others, uh, poor marriage relationship, probably a life of drugs, criminality, and jail. If you look up low self-esteem, that's going to be what it predicts. But there's two kinds of low self-esteem. There's aggressive low self-esteem, and there's passive low self-esteem. Now, let me tell you about the aggressive part. Aggressive low self-esteem is like this. Arrogant, excessive talking, Bragging, conceited, demanding, controlling, saying, I don't care what others think. Impulsive, impatient, belittles, bullies, negative self-talk, insecurity, feels inadequate. That's aggressive, low self-esteem. And we know people like that. All right, passive low self-esteem is like this. Inappropriately seeking other people's approval. Uh, Poor self-confidence, self-doubt, problems asking for legitimate needs to be met. Negative social comparison, self-pity, blaming, fear of failure, lack of social boundaries, trouble accepting positive feedback, negative self-talk, insecurity, feeling inadequate. Low self-esteem, if you want to write those three things down, negative self-talk, insecurity, feels inadequate. Now, if a person is feeling that way, it's going to be expressed either Uh, aggressively or passively, and neither one of them is very pretty, right? Now, what would a person look like who is appropriately resourced by God's love so that they are appropriately loving themselves? And they can say, I love myself. God has loved me. I thought I was a nobody or just another somebody, but God has loved me and made me a beloved son or daughter. I love myself. He says he loves me. He created the universe Jesus died for me. If he loves me, who am I to say I'm not lovable? Are you lovable? God says you are. And so a person who is appropriately and adequately loving themselves is like this. This is, oh, by the way, the description I gave you, low self-esteem uh, and all that, if you were to Google self-esteem, self-worth, uh, you'd find all that stuff. I'm not making it up. That's the description of people with low self-esteem. Um, a person who loves him or herself, let me give you this, appropriately never gives up, cares more for others than for oneself, doesn't want what it doesn't have, doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, temper tantrum, doesn't keep score of the sins or offenses of others, doesn't revel when others grovel or fail, Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, 
Always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Guess where I got that? Anybody know? 1 Corinthians 13. That's from the message translation. Go ahead and put the uh, New Living Translation up. This is a picture of someone who is loving themselves appropriately. They're patient, they're kind, they're not jealous, they don't boast, they're not proud and rude, they don't demand their own way, they're not irritable, uh, they keep no record of wrongs that others have done to them. And next, do we have a next? I forgot if I put that up or not. Anyway, you get the idea. The perfect profile of a person who adequately, appropriately loves themselves is simply what it means to be a Christian. That's why we can love other. That's why we can love God and love others, because as we love God and He loves us, we are appropriately able to love ourselves, and that that's the kind of love we love other people with. It, it's it's uh, painfully simple. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the New Testament writers, Paul, Peter, John, James, they would write uh, descriptions of the lifestyle of those early Christians who, uh, because Jesus loved them, they loved themselves, they were loving others. They were loving God and loving others in the first century. And it wasn't easy because the Romans were persecuting Christians and so in that environment, the writers of the New Testament would write things like 1 Corinthians 13 so that those early Christians, you see, this was all new to them. They didn't know this stuff. The only life they knew to live was to protect yourself or cutthroat. And so the writers would describe this kind of lifestyle of people who adequately loved themselves because they were loved by God and they loved others appropriately. At first, there were maybe a couple of dozen at Jesus' resurrection. Then through 300 years of persecution, opposition, there were 30 million in the Roman Empire. 10% tipping point. How does that happen? Because there weren't that many miracles recorded after the 1st, 2nd, 3rd century. It's because of the lifestyles of the Christians who love God, were loved by God, loved themselves, and loved other people. Do you realize we can do that same kind of thing today? In this world, this kind of lifestyle and love would be notable, would be appreciated and accepted. Loving God and loving people. Now, we looked at the two ingredients, how to love God and uh, God's love for us. But next time, I want to go into how to actually receive and feel God's love. Would you like, does that sound good? Would you like that? And then how to adequately love other people. Don't you just love this, that we dig into our, our uh, motto thing, and we look at what it means and how to live it. So in a moment, you're going to be taking communion that expresses the bread, the, the uh, blood of Jesus shed for us. And i got to show you how to do this because I've had people tell me over the next, next previous weeks, that when they try to open this thing up, it explodes and gets all over them. Have you guys had any trouble getting this open? Yeah. And then I asked Ellen, and she told me how to do it. Look, here's what you do. You bend this tab down until it cracks. And then it separates, so you got this little um, uh, plastic thing on top 
that you pull off and get the delicious bread. And then you can get into the juice by pulling off. See, it, it makes a whole difference. The first thing you do is snap that tab down. Okay? So as you take communion, remember, Jesus loved you so much he died for you. This represents his broken body and his blood. We'll worship in a minute.